Thank you for downloading the BDAS podcast brought to you by UE Bristol in collaboration with Great Western Air Ambulance Charity. In this podcast, we are joined by Vicky Brown, Advanced Clinical Practitioner in Critical Care, Rich Jeevens, Deputy Medical Director, Callum Sutton, Specialist Paramedic in Critical Care, Great Western Air Ambulance, and Professor Jonathan Benger, Professor of Emergency Care at UE Bristol. Good evening, everybody. I hope you can hear me all right. Fantastic. Okay, Uh, my name is Jonathan Benger. Uh, I'm a Professor of Emergency Care here at the University of the West of England. Um, also a consultant in emergency medicine at the Bristol Royal Infirmary and a consultant in pre-hospital care with the Great Western Air Ambulance Charity, uh, which I had the pleasure of starting as its first medical director back in 2008. Um, And uh, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the uh, Bristol Distinguished Address uh, series um, and to chair the evening's events, where we're focusing uh, on two really important uh, things. Uh, Thing number one is uh, the Great Western Air Ambulance Charity and the work that uh, that charity does uh, for the people of Bristol and the surrounding areas, uh, Bath, South Gloucestershire. Uh, And also uh, a person who's not a thing, but uh, Vicky Brown, uh, who uh, is our distinguished speaker this evening and who I'll introduce in a bit more detail before she starts her talk. Um, I've got a, we've got a short intro uh, by Ellie Hamilton and then uh, a video um, of one of our survivors, Jasmine. Um, and then I say Vicky is the highlight of the evening. Um, and uh, that's, I'm not building her up at all. There's no pressure at all. <laughs> uh, following that, uh, we'll have a conversation between uh, Vicky, myself, and two other uh, key, L- key members of the team. Uh, which is Dr. Richard Jevons, who's also a consultant in emergency medicine and pre-hospital care, but the deputy medical director at GWAC, and Callum Sutton, uh, who is one of our specialist paramedics in critical care. Uh, and he's also Australian, but he can't help that. Um, so, and then there'll be an opportunity to take some, some, uh, some questions from the audience, um, and there's even some refreshments and an opportunity to practice your life-saving skills uh, afterwards. Um, there are no planned fire alarms, of course. Is that if there is a fire, there are some massive fire doors here that go outside, so I'm confident that we'll all survive. Uh, there may even be somebody who can render some first aid. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Ellie Hamilton, who is both a, uh, a well-known member of the student paramedic community um, and also a volunteer uh, for GWAC, uh, to say a few words to get us going. Good evening, I'm Ellie Hammerden, and I've just finished my second year of studying paramedic science here at UE. I'm also the president of the HeartStar Society. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I've been asked here tonight to give a little explanation about what HeartStarters is and the role I play within it. Just before I start, I would like to take a moment to say that before even starting my university course, I remember reading about Vicky's achievements as the first consultant practitioner in critical care with a sole paramedic background. With pure excitement, I turned to my mum and announced that one day I too would follow in her footsteps. I would have never imagined that two years later I would be standing on the same stage as her. It truly is an honour. For those of you in the room that aren't aware what Heartstarters is, it's an initiative run by GWAC aimed at promoting CPR and AED teaching, both in schools and community groups across Bristol and its surrounding areas. However, 
It would not be possible without its amazing group of volunteers from all backgrounds. I was first introduced to Heartstarters in my induction week at university as our program lead arranged for different societies and volunteer groups to promote what they do. With Heartstarters grabbing my attention, I signed up to volunteer. I discovered that a previous society had unfortunately shut down over the COVID pandemic. So I spent most of last year working to promote and encourage students across UE, and I mainly focused on healthcare students. With some success, the Heartstar Society was up and running in September of last year. My current role as president is focused on providing UE students with forms to sign up, organizing activities to thank students for their volunteering, and engaging with students on campus to encourage them to get involved. I also act as a liaison between GUAC and UE. This is a role I'm very fortunate to have as it's granted me the opportunity to attend the steering group meetings for Heartstarters. This has allowed me to voice my both, both my personal and student-led opinions surrounding engagement, centering it to what's best for us as university students as well as the university itself. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job correctly if I didn't take this opportunity to recruit people and volunteers from the audience. So, I encourage anyone here today who is CPR trained, regardless of whether your background is in healthcare, it's, and it's not only students who can volunteer, and there really is no commitment in signing up. You could honestly attend just one, one session and Carlotta and I would be absolutely over the moon. On that note, without the help and support from GWAC's wonderful Heartstarters coordinator, Carlotta, I wouldn't be able to do any of this, so thank you. She really is a truly amazing person who's possibly more passionate and enthusiastic about this initiative than I am, and that's really hard to do. As I go into my final year here at UWE, I can only help hope to find someone who's equally as passionate about this initiative as I am to take over. So, if you're a student who's interested in taking over my role, or maybe a, pers or a prospective student, absolutely anyone in the room who's looking to volunteer, or maybe you just have a question because I tend to speak too fast and I have a funny accent, I'll be around at the end, so feel free to come over. Thank you. Um, so, uh, with that as a back, backdrop, um, it's my absolute uh, pleasure to introduce Vicky Brown to you. Uh, as, uh, as Ellie alluded to, uh, Vicky is in many respects the most clinically qualified paramedic in the country. Um, she was the first paramedic to achieve level 8 consultant status in pre-hospital care practice. Um, and uh, we, we at GWAC are extremely proud of her and her achievements. Um, she has pioneered uh, clinical leadership for paramedics um, and she has blazed a trail that I'm sure many other paramedics will, will follow um, in developing the profession um, and building on the incredible foundations that she has made. It's been a difficult journey um, and I'm, we may all talk a bit about that uh, as the evening progresses um, but please welcome Vicky. Thanks, JB, uh, for those very kind words. I kind of just want to go a little bit back on the video that we've just seen. Um, it's pretty emotive. I think I could have probably heard a pin drop if it had. And it just reminds us of um, why we do what we do uh, and why the charities are here to, uh, to be able to fly and treat patients like we do. So, this is me. Uh, 
I work on the Great Western Air Ambulance Charity on their helicopter, um, which actually works for South Western Ambulance Service. So I'll talk about both, um, both of them during this talk. We're based, um, well, literally just outside of Bristol, Armondsbury. Um, and as JB said, I was one of the first, well, I was the first advanced clinical practitioner in critical care uh, in the Southwest and, in fact, in the UK. And again, I will talk a little bit about that uh, as we move on. So, a bit about me. Uh, that's me. I think I was about 10 years old at the time. All I wanted to do was anything to do with ponies. Uh, and nothing else existed as far as I was concerned. Uh, I started working with horses. I went to college to do horses. And then one day I thought, you know what, I probably should do something that's just a bit more sustainable. Probably less hours. Um, maybe not such early starts and not as physically demanding. <laughs> so I joined the ambulance service. I joined what was then Gloucestershire Ambulance Service, uh, and that was back in 2002, so a long time ago. And I qualified as a paramedic in 2004. So in those days, uh, the paramedic degrees didn't exist. Uh, it was through a different route. I went off, I did... Uh, initially, initially did some technician training which was six weeks long and some paramedic training which was seven weeks long and that was it so you pretty much learnt on the job uh, I wanted to get on uh, I'd seen this helicopter I wanted to get on a helicopter so in 2006 uh, I was lucky enough to get on to what was then the county air ambulance now known as Midlands Air Ambulance and during that time uh, I was lucky enough to go and study get a postgraduate certificate in pre-hospital critical care uh, and I was also, so with the way it worked then, you were seconded to the air ambulance and I did five shifts a month. The rest of the time I was spent doing uh, general paramedic on the road, but also did some time in the education department, uh, did some teaching, got gained teaching qualification and various management roles uh, up until I joined GWAC. So 2012, uh, so just over 11 years now I've been with GWAC. Um, I was what was known initially as a critical care paramedic. This changed to a specialist paramedic in critical care, but again, I'll come on to that uh, in a bit. Uh, and then 2020, uh, as I said, became advanced clinical practitioner in critical care. So when I first started, uh, we had a Bolco. And actually, it was a Bolco 105S. Now, the S is very important here because it is, it's, the S is for stretched. Stretch gave you 10 whole inches extra. Now, if you've ever seen a Bolco or even been in one, uh, there's not a lot of room. So 10 inches is actually quite a lot. Uh, we were a team of two clinicians. So we had the pilots, two clinicians, uh, basically because there were no other seats. There was just no room in this aircraft. Luckily, things progressed. So we now have, which is the airframe we have now, which is a Eurocopter 135. Um, this means it gives us a lot more room than the Bolco did, uh, and the ability to carry a third person, so a th either a third clinician or a parent if we, um, if we go to a child. We also have uh, three cars. They're all branded. You may have seen them around the area. Um, we have two shifts, and so we're quite often in and about Bristol uh, on the cars. So this is our area that we serve. Um, so I was used to flying over the Malvern Hills, very nice, Herefordshire countryside, very nice, uh, and then I came to Bristol. Uh, so I was used to nice long flights, maybe not seeing as many patients, um, and I came to Bristol and we're pretty populated here, 
So it was lots of short flights, lots of patients. So why am I showing you this and why am I telling you this? Well, with lots of people come lots of incidents and lots of incidents uh, comes with lots of experience you gain. So a few, uh, a few stats for you. So I looked at, so we have a database. Um, so I looked at the last seven years just to see what I do compared to what GWAC did in 2022. I did 607 shifts. Now I'm probably about 70% clinical over the average of the last seven years. Uh, the rest of my time has been spent doing various roles and responsibilities. So a full-time uh, specialist paramedic or advanced paramedic will probably do about 900 shifts in a year once you take into consideration uh, annual leave, etc. So I've done that amount of incidents. I'm pretty much 50-50 with trauma and medical. And actually, if you look at GWAC's 2022 stats, uh, that's pretty much the same. It's pretty much 50-50 for trauma and medical. I've been uh, involved in 145 pre-hospital emergency anaesthetics in the last seven years, and actually since I've been with GWAC, that's been uh, 195, so I'm nearly at the 200 mark. And thoracotomies, resuscitative hysterotomy, and lateral canthotomy, which I will discuss uh, a bit later on. So since I've been HEMS, which is quite a long time ago, 2006, uh, I've flown over 1,000 hours, which is, which is quite a lot. So let's talk a little bit about the roles that I've done. So the first one was critical care paramedic. Now that's a relatively well-known term. Uh, it, became, it came in quite a few years ago. What did it mean then? Well, it kind of meant that you were a paramedic probably working on a helicopter with a couple of more skills. In those days, it was things like an EZIO, so student paramedics in the room. You'll be doing this as student paramedics. You'll be learning about this. This was a brand new skill back, back in the day. So then the College of Paramedics decided that they wanted to try and come up with some kind of career framework um, and show the different levels as you work through. And the levels are looking at the four pillars, which again I'll come back to. So that's where the specialist paramedic role came. Uh, and obviously they've got their advanced paramedic and consultant paramedic. So SWAS decided to follow this. So we have, and they're actually specialist practitioners because we have nurses and paramedics in the roles. Uh, and also then follow on with that with the advanced clinical practitioner role. So let's talk a little bit about the specialist practitioner. So to get onto this pathway, there's quite a few people. You have an interview if you get through that bit. Uh, and then you join a critical care unit. Now in SWAS, that is uh, an air ambulance unit. So when you join, you have to then go and do your HEMS technical crew member course so that you can sit in the front of that helicopter and help the pilot with some navigation uh, to try and get to the job. Uh, so once you've done that, you have various portfolios to do. So there's a lot of work to do. You have to show your competence in skills uh, and your clinical exposure. There is a portfolio to show that you've learned about the drug ketamine. We use quite a lot of ketamine uh, for good reasons. You have an intubation portfolio. Now, paramedics have been stopped intubating patients. Um, there's, we could probably have a whole discussion about that here. But actually, uh, for, this, for the paramedics coming to the units, they have to show that they are skilled and have had the training to be able to intubate patients. It's, a, it's, it's quite a risky procedure. PGD, so this comes under when uh, we have drugs that we can give. Uh, so the PGDs, which are... Uh, written so that people can uh, administer a drug 
we don't have as road paramedics. We follow a system of a few drugs that we have exemptions for. So actually coming into the critical care units, there's a lot to learn. Each unit has different equipment to use. It's kind of, yes, it's a ventilator, but it might be a slightly different ventilator. So they have to learn how to use them and get signed off for that. Surgical skills, so all our specialist paramedics are trained to do a, what's called a thoracostomy in a surgical airway. Uh, they will get signed off with that and they have annual recertification on that as well. And then to add to all of this, they have to then get a postgraduate certificate in a clinical subject, so it needs to be relevant, so advanced practice, for example. Probably takes about 18 months on average to do this. Uh, so they have some quite good extended skills by the end of this. So as we say, uh, they've got some surgical skills. They can give ketamine either as analgesia or some sedation. Uh, and they get to learn a lot more about clinical decision making. So advanced practitioners, this is what I'm doing currently. So there's only one route through at the moment. Um, you have to have been in critical care for a minimum of three years. You then need to do your Diploma in Immediate Medical Care, which I'll discuss a bit more about that later. So I did mine in 2014, and I became an examiner in it in 2016. So back then, there was very, very few paramedics, and there were no female paramedics on the examiner board. Uh, so, yeah, that was interesting. Um, so, but since then, we've got quite a few people now doing the exam, and actually there are a lot of paramedic examiners, so that's really good. It shows how the profession's moving forward. You have to do your non-medical prescribing or independent prescribing, as it's known now. Uh, I did mine in 2019. I was one of the first paramedics to go through. Uh, and this is really, really progressed paramedic practice, um, for not, not just in critical care, but across the board, primary care as well. Uh, another portfolio. So I had to do another portfolio. Uh, so this was to show uh, evidence advanced level already and, and show your competence. And this is against the faculty of pre-hospital care or pre-hospital emergency medicine training uh, and then once you've done all that you have a lovely assessment day actually two days now which consists of six scenarios um, and it's assessing your clinical assessment your advanced level decision making your teaching capability and your clinical reasoning and understanding of sort of the current evidence-based practice uh, alongside clinical le leadership so I did all that, uh, 2020, we then had another person that came through in 2021 and we've just had two more people pass the assessment, so they're very much nearly on the, on the program now for being an advanced practitioner. We are currently writing a training program, uh, it's a waiting sign off, but it's probably going to look about a sort of three year program and will consist of both pre-hospital and in-hospital uh, modules. So, advanced practice. Uh, back in 2017, Health Education England, as it was then known as, um, characterised advanced practice by being a high degree of autonomy uh, and complex decision making. And all of this would be underpinned by a master's level award. Uh, within this encompasses what they call the four pillars. So the four pillars are clinical practice, leadership and management, education, and then research and development. So all of these come under my remit. I might be a bit more involved with some than others, uh, but everything comes under the advanced role that I now do. So let's chat about clinical practice first. Uh, advanced practice, so it's intended to 
deliver the most appropriate level of care uh, to those people requiring specialist uh, interventions. So I've now got more autonomy in my practice than I've ever had before. You'll see on the left-hand side, uh, lots of names and lots of drugs. Uh, so I've got a really large formery that I can work from. Uh, it includes all the critical care that we carry on the unit. The only ones that we have a little bit of a tricky at the moment control drugs. So currently a paramedic prescriber cannot uh, prescribe control drugs, so we still have to have a PGD for that, but hopefully uh, that will be resolved fairly soon. So additional drugs you can probably see up there. Uh, some of you may have heard of them, some of you may not. Uh, includes uh, rocuronium, uh, magnesium sulfates, metaraminol, propofol. So these all come with um, in, in my formery now. Having said that, we always have a top cover consultant at SWAS, and they are available 24-7. So I can phone a friend uh, and ask for any advice if I'm with a patient and just not too sure whether I should give this drug or that drug or what I should be doing. So independent prescribing is just a massive step forward for paramedics, um, and like I said, it's not just in critical care. What I quite often get asked is, what interventions can I do that I couldn't do before? Uh, so there's a picture on the next slide of the internal of a chest. If you are a little bit squeamish, close your eyes, but I promise it's not that bad. So it's not that bad. Uh, so yeah, so now I can do advanced intervention. So that includes a thoracotomy, which is on your left-hand side, a resuscitative hysterotomy. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Google it. You probably don't want to be involved with it. Lateral canthotomy and an amputation. So all of this I could do as a specialist paramedic as part of a critical care team because that meant I had a doctor with me. Uh, now I can do it without a doctor. So luckily or unluckily, depending how you look at it, um, I've done all these interventions with a doctor. So actually if I go and do them without, it's not the first time I've seen it. So we train all our specialist paramedics in this as well. So they are there to assist uh, in any of these interventions because, as you can imagine, there's quite a lot that needs to be done. But it also gives them the exposure and the experience so that when they move on to advanced practice, hopefully it's not the first time they've seen it. So I would just, I mean, I just love pushing boundaries. So I was like, yeah, we definitely need to do these without a doctor. Uh, but only, you can only do that with your further training um, and gaining the competence to be able to do this. So the next pillar, leadership and management. Uh, I'm the clinical lead at GWAC alongside the medical director. We have around 30 to 35 clinicians at any one time. That would include the specialist paramedics and the critical care doctors. But we also have trainees with us, um, both from paramedic and doctor background. Oh, excuse me. So a big part of, I think, the management and probably the leadership as well is clinical governance. Now, governance pretty much covers everything. So SWAS actually hold GUAC's governance. Uh, so I'm the link into the ambulance service. We have uh, monthly meetings. In fact, we had one this morning. Uh, and we're involved with um, writing, signing off uh, policies, guidelines, PDGs, so just for, for GUAC as a unit, but also uh, for the other critical care units in, in the Southwest. I also get involved with any clinical investigations going on within the trust. Um, and I represent both GWAC and SWAST at various meetings um, across, so nationally as well as the region. And I think an important part of being, being the leader is, as a senior clinician, it uh, means I can help to guide the team to reach our vision. 
uh, which is providing the best possible care we can for our patients. So education and training. Uh, I'm the education lead at the unit, alongside the deputy medical director, who's sat in front of me. Uh, I really enjoy this part of the role. Uh, I review both the specialist and the advanced curriculums and develop training pathways to match these. I mentor paramedics uh, and doctors joining the unit, but also those who want to go on and do advanced practice, I'm there to support them. So at GWAC, we do daily training. So that can consist of uh, anything from learning how a new piece of equipment works, uh, airway drills and intubation, uh, right up to full sim. So this is a full sim that's happening outside. But actually, another thing we do is case-based discussions. Now, I, I believe we can learn an awful lot by discussing cases. There's, there's never one way to skin a cat, as they say. Um, and actually, that's where I got a lot of my learning from when I first joined the unit. So I also help to organize assessment days, um, selection days, recently involved with organizing the latest advanced practice assessment days. And I sit on interview panels for both paramedics and the doctors wanting to join the unit and also with other positions within, within SWAST. Uh, it's pretty full on, so I review and develop clinical guidelines for SWAST um, and GWAC when needed. And this just allows the uh, patient care to keep moving forward as times move on. I think the bit I really, I really like doing is uh, when people join the unit uh, and they've got ideas of where they want to be, just making sure they've got the right support and the support is in place so that they can gain the knowledge and skills they need so they can progress with their own careers. Uh, so the final pillar is research and development. So I'm also the research lead. So there's a little bit of a theme going on here. Uh, and ensure that... Um, the, as a unit, we engage and collaborate with, uh, with other people in research, particularly in the pre-hospital environment. There's not been an awful lot over the years um, in the pre-hospital environment anyway. And we need to do that so we can just keep on developing and improving patient care. So I've been recently involved with a couple of studies, um, one of which was looking at whether chest compressions uh, generate aerosols. So as you can imagine, uh, this was pretty exciting work in the recent pandemic. Uh, it also looked at whether the use of an eye gel would generate an aerosol. So the, the results are about to be published, uh, and I'm not doing any spoilers now. That's probably a bit dark on there. Um, so part of my role is advanced decision-making. So decision-making is basically gaining all the information you can and then making a decision that is the most appropriate for that patient, something all clinicians do. So for me, this is just an example. Um, I'm able to convey a patient to hospital using different transport modalities, uh, even knowing that I can't necessarily phone that friend for any advice uh, due to the comms being difficult. So this was me. Uh, we were called to a patient who had fallen, possibly been pushed, uh, over a wall onto some rocks. Uh, he sustained a head injury, and he was very difficult to access. Uh, it was just all rocks, very difficult to get to, and as you can see, it was uh, pitch black. We got there, with the help of search and rescue, uh, they came out, apart from when they got some good lights on their helicopter, uh, and they managed to winch uh, myself and the patient out of there, so then we could then convey them quickly to the major trauma centre. It was good fun, by the way. So, what do I do, generally, day to day? Um, 
Many advanced practitioners will probably do about 80% clinical, uh, and then 20% of their time will be just spent on supplementary professional activities, which will encompass the four pillars. So I probably do about eight to 10 shifts, or I try to do about eight to 10 shifts a month. Uh, that may involve working on the helicopter, on the response cars, but also uh, doing shifts in hospitals. Uh, if I'm on the unit, I will work with either a critical care doctor, uh, one of the specialist paramedics, but I can also work solo. This is so that I try to keep up my clinical shifts because I still need to remain competent. Um, and you're always learning, you're always gaining knowledge which is obviously the bit I love doing. So meetings, I attend a lot of meetings, as I'm sure a lot of you do, um, both for GWAC and SWAST, um, but also for some other external stakeholders. And that's not just in the region, that's nationally as well. Mentoring, as I've said before, um, I mentor students, I mentor doctors, uh, I support uh, already qualified specialist paramedics if they want to then uh, go on to do advanced practice. Staff well-being. Now, GWAC is really, really heavily uh, inputted with their staff welfare. So we have a GWAC uh, which will make sure that not only are we looking after ourselves, but we're looking after each other. And we're putting things in place so that if people need some support, it's there for them, which I think is really important, especially the job that we do. I get involved with uh, quite a few projects. Uh, I research on kind of looking at the latest innovations, uh, any new equipment that's available, should we be using it, shouldn't we be using it, looking at all the various courses that are around and if we can um, access any funding so that any of the paramedics doctors can go and do some courses. I compile and look at clinical audits, uh, and this is so that we can help improve sort of patient care and then on, on from that outcomes. CPD, uh, so the time I have left, which isn't a huge amount, uh, is spent on my own CPD. So we have annual uh, competency sign-offs to do. We can do refresher courses. And I recently spent uh, a three-month full-time secondment in hospital, uh, which was really, really good. So a little bit about the faculty. So the Faculty of Pre-Hospital Care, which comes under the umbrella of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, uh, run, well, they run quite a few uh, exams, but they run these two. Now, there's, there are not many pre-hospital, national pre-hospital exams uh, in the UK. These are the two main ones. So there's the Diploma in Immediate Medical Care and the Fellowship in Immediate Medical Care, both of which have been updated over the last few years. They've been opened up so it's multi-professional, so it's uh, originally was mainly doctors. Uh, now it's doctors, paramedics, and nurses. So I obtained my fellowship uh, last year, um, and I also uh, became uh, registered onto, the, onto their level eight uh, register for consultant practitioners in pre-hospital emergency medicine. And as um, Ellie was saying earlier, I did it from a purely paramedic background and was the first one to do that. Since being on the register, I've had quite a few people contact me uh, to say, how do I get on there? Uh, so looking at it, in fact, when you looked at it the other day, there are now becoming more paramedics, which is really good to see, and it just shows that the, uh, the profession is just moving forward in the right direction. So as a consultant practitioner on their register, I am now looking at uh, a consultant practitioner in critical care in SWAST, which kind of leads me on to um, what's the future next. So I've been a paramedic for a long, long time, as you now know, um, and I think the paramedic profession over the years has developed massively. 
There are lots of options available to us now. You can work on the road uh, in pre-hospital. You can join a critical care unit. Um, you can work in primary care. You can work in GP surgeries. You can work in hospitals. Uh, a couple of uh, roles there would be your ACP and your ACCP roles. Uh, the specialist advanced and consultant roles. Now, pretty varied in the country who you ask, uh, what can they do? So I am on a lead practitioner forum, which is national, uh, and part of that is we're looking at standardising what this role means uh, and what the levels are associated with each of those roles. It's a big piece of work, um, and there's quite a few people working on it, but actually I think that would be really good progression if we can, if we can sort that out. I'm a strong believer in um, if you've got the right knowledge, skills, experience and competence, you can do things regardless of what your title is. So maybe uh, one of the next things could be looking at practitioner de de delivered pre-hospital emergency anaesthesia. So this has been and still is a controversial topic, uh, but I think it is achievable. A good thing would be to have uh, the controlled drugs so that we can prescribe them as paramedics. Uh, that would be a good step forward and we'll be making our sort of independent prescribing uh, completely autonomous. And I think my aim is probably to continue to design, design pathways so that practitioners that are coming in kind of behind me have got a pathway to follow, uh, progress their own careers, but also keep, keep progressing the paramedic profession. So I hope that that has given you a bit of insight in what can be achieved as a paramedic. Um, and I really look forward to pushing some more boundaries before I retire. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Great, thank you. I've got this new exciting microphone. It's, uh, I'm not sure it'll catch on as a fashion accessory, but we'll see. Um, so uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, just kind of exploring some of the, the kind of questions that follow there. Um, I'm going to talk to some of my colleagues here and then we'll have a chance to ask us some, even some hard questions, because obviously these are planted questions. These are going to be the easy ones. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, Dr. Richard Jevons is the Deputy Medical Director at GWAC. Callum Sutton is one of our specialist paramedics in critical care, and Vicky Brown needs no introduction. So, um, so Rich, if I can start with you, I guess one of the, the obvious questions is, do we need doctors anymore? And uh, what's, the, what's the medical view if, uh, if advanced uh, practitioners are going to take over the world? Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> luckily, at the moment, We've only got one Vicky Brown. Um, and we are better as a team. You could set up your critical care any way you like. You could be solely paramedic, but actually we're better. We're better than the sum of our parts as a paramedic and doctor mix. We train together, we learn together, we bring different skills to the party. So do I think I could get rid of doctors? only if we can clone Vicky, uh, but do I think we need to? No, because I think we are better together and bring different skills and that's better than the sum of our parts. And uh, Callum, you're relatively new into the unit and recently completed your training. Uh, what's your kind of 
what's your view on the, the sustainability of, of pre-hospital critical care delivered by paramedics? Um, well, I think the future's bright. I think, like uh, Vicky said, you know, um, Vicky's pushing that boundary to then uh, make that pathway for those of us that, that come behind um, so that we can, you know, continue to, to move through that. I think the paramedic profession as a whole, you know, over the last 10 years has, has improved hugely. And, you know, now we've got students uh, like Ali and everyone here, you know, going through Bachelor of Science degrees, which is giving giving them a really great foundation to, to come into, um, into pre-hospital care at a level already that we haven't experienced before. So that gives you a great foundation to be able to get exposure, get experience, and build on that knowledge um, so that the boundaries can continue to be pushed for, for the next 10 years, hopefully. And uh, since I mentioned earlier that you happen to be from Australia, what's the, what's the comparison like between between paramedics in Australia and the UK? Yeah, it's pretty similar, I think. Um, pretty similar, hence why I'm here, I guess. Um, um, the training to be a paramedic in Australia is a bachelor's degree, um, like it is here. Um, there's a few different things. Uh, so if we take critical care, you know, there is some paramedic-led services doing anaesthetics and that kind of thing, and I think we can learn from them. And, you know, but it's not really any paramedic-led services doing things like thoracotomy or hysterotomy, so they can learn and that kind of thing and the more we work with international services whether that be Norway, Australia, New Zealand the, the more we can learn from each other and take our different experiences to, to help improve our own systems. Okay and um, Vicky I, I sense there might be one or two student paramedics in the audience um, what would be your, your advice to a student paramedic at UWE uh, who wanted to follow in your footsteps? Um, great if you do uh, I think as a student uh, and actually even as a newly qualified paramedic, the, probably the best advice I can give is gain as much experience as you can. Now experience takes time, it doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, I think go off, do things, um, if there's courses coming up, go and do them. And actually take your time, but enjoy, enjoy the paramedic pathway. Um, I've been doing it for a long time, I'm really old, uh, you guys are really young. Uh, and you've got lots of time, so don't, don't try and rush things. Uh, you need the experience to be able to, to work through the levels and enjoy it. Okay. And uh, Richard, what, what, what do you see is, what, would you think, what do you think it will be like in 10 years' time in terms of the services we're providing, the, the kind of working together? Again, that's really difficult crystal ball. Thanks, JB. Um, I mean, it's massively progressed. I mean, I started in, what, 2017 with GWAC, and it's already progressed. There's more kit that we're using. Um, there's different pathways that have opened up. It's almost impossible to say where it will go. Would I like to see a pathway that starts from the roadside seamlessly through a hospital delivered by the right person with the right skills, regardless, quite similar to Vicky's, regardless of the title that they held, absolutely. What kit that involves will probably change. I mean, people are talking about drones taking blood to people and all sorts of fancy. You'll have seen on the TV in the north and they've got jetpacks taking them up mountains. Okay, I don't know what kit's coming. There's always gonna be a role. People will always have either a medical event 
or trauma by doing something. So there's always going to be a patient cohort. We might be completely obsolete because actually the paramedics of today are taught with a different skill set. They might be doing it. They might be doing what we are doing now and we're not necessary. Okay? We're only doing the very sharp top pointy end of the pyramid already. Okay? So I don't know what the future brings, but I'd like to think that it would be seamless from road through hospital with the right person, team, the right skills, delivering that care. Okay, and I've been interested in Callum or Vicky's views. I mean, there's a, there is a vision, isn't there, for 10 years. Do you think there are some barriers that we need to overcome, some, some, some challenges that we need to break down? I mean, it's, it is a journey, isn't it? And we've gone a long way down that road, but we're not, we're not at the end of that journey yet. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think we're there, but we're making, you know, people like Vicky are pushing those, pushing those boundaries. And I think the more we can, I think for paramedics, the more we can get into that mindset of asking the why we do things, the better we'll be. So why do we provide X intervention? Uh, what's happening with the patient? What's the pathophysiology and, uh, of the condition that we're treating and that kind of thing? I think we've moved that way, but the, the more we can, do that, show good clinical reasoning and decision making, the, the more chance we have of bringing increased scope of practice and increased treatments uh, forward into the pre-hospital environment for our patients. Okay. Vicky, anything to add? Uh, what he said. Yeah, I okay. think um, that's spot on, actually. Uh, there's always going to be, there's always going to be boundaries to, pr to push uh, in all professions, uh, but I think exactly what Callum's just explained is, uh, is the future. Who knows? I'm 10 years' time, I should be retired, hopefully. I'm just thinking about the, the research base as well, because, you know, you alluded to in your talk, Vicky, there's a real challenge around the research base that we have, and mature professions have, you know, a strong research base. There's so many questions out there that need to be answered. Um, go on. Yeah, and I think um, that's also progressed over the years. So we now have um, paramedics that are taken on to do research. I mean, that was never even a thing when I, was, when I first joined. So yes, I think there is a long way to go with that. Um, but actually, we're starting to do that. Uh, things take a long time. There's, like you said, there's, there are still lots of questions to be asked, but I think there's more people being interested now in doing some pre-hospital research uh, and people actually being put in place to start leading on that, which is really good. There's a great pre-hospital research program at this university, I understand. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. what I heard. Um, can we take some questions from the audience? Um, oh, Steve. Um, I think I, I've, got a, I've got a feeling, Steve West is, of course, the Vice-Chancellor of the University of West of England and patron uh, of the Great Western Air Ambulance Charity. So, Steve, thank you very much for joining us this evening. I think it's a bit of a shouter, I'm afraid. I think we haven't got a roving mic. quite tricky actually um, I think the paramedic profession is now so varied um, from what it was and there are lots and lots of avenues now where we can actually work uh, which we could never do before you're a paramedic on the road and 
that was it. You know, that's that's all you did. But I think, um, yeah, it's just it's so varied now. What would what would be my dream? I don't know really. That's a that's a good question. It's food for thought as well. I mean, I, I, perhaps what I would add to that, I, I think, is there is a real challenge in the profession around retention and, and making the job sustainable in the long term. Um, and so there's a real, there's a real. I mean, I think this is true for the workforce in general, but for paramedics in particular. I mean, when I started working with the ambulance service, which was in the last century, uh, most of the paramedics that you met have been on the road for 20 or 30 years, and it was a career for life. Um, and everything's changed. So now we have you know, excellent degrees, uh, such as you know, the degrees courses and other courses that are taught at universities just like UWE, uh, a very high level of knowledge and skills, much younger people, uh, lots more women, hurrah, uh, because it was all men. Uh, and uh, that's great, but people aren't staying for whatever reason, because of the pressures of the job, because of the, the challenges of the work. And so there is something about portfolio careers and having the capacity for people to grow and move and develop over time. And, it, and, I, and I think it's how do we, how do we, we need to grow the workforce, but we also need to think about long-term strategies to retain paramedics, because so many leave and move into different areas and all that training, all that knowledge, all that enthusiasm is wasted. Cam, do you want to, anything you want to say? Yeah, I think um, you know, one word, I think, for paramedics' future work is just opportunity. If you give us the opportunity, we're a pretty adaptable bunch. And so if you open up pathways and stuff, there's going to be people around, paramedics around, who will push that boundary and, and move into that. And um, We can see that with, you know, uh, some of our team at GWAC. We've got, you know, people like Vicky. We've got others who are doing portfolios within neonatal retrieval and in, in hospital and intensive care and stuff like that. So I think that will help with retention um, doing that. So I agree. Portfolio careers keep people, give people half time in GP surgery, half time in ambulance service on the road, keeping people out of hospital, that kind of stuff. The more opportunities, the more we'll fill them for you. <laughs> Any other questions from the audience? this one. Um, so the doctor is a very different beast than the paramedic. Uh, that's where I'll probably start with that one. Um, so yes, it's a title, but a doctor has done a lot of different type of training than we have. Um, obviously, they do medical school, and then they have years and years and years and years before they become a consultant. Uh, I think, I think that maybe the term consultant might come in, uh, and I think that needs to be done so there is a, a proper pathway put in place, um, which is one of the aspects I'm trying to work on at the moment. But I think to say, will we be the doctor? No, because we're not a doctor. Uh, we're a paramedic uh, or a nurse, whatever your background is. Uh, but I think we can achieve uh, some of um, 
some of the some of the stuff they do as a doctor you don't have to be necessarily a doctor now there are things as a doctor you need to be a doctor uh, and there are things as a paramedic you need to be a paramedic uh, but i don't think we will be the doctor because we're the paramedic uh, and i think we should keep hold of that yeah, I just would echo that. I think we should um, be proud of being a paramedic kind of thing, um, own that title. And the reason that, like Rich says, that uh, we're better as a team is because the paramedics and doctors bring different mindsets and skill sets into the thing. And so although a skill is, I think that's something else as a paramedic profession we need to move away from, is thinking of skills as the be-all and end-all kind of thing. Um, so although you know the skill of putting the tube into the patient's airway might be interchangeable, um, what we bring is the, what the difference are, you know, that decision-making level and the um, logistics thinking about it. Because managing a scene, um, you know, for a paramedic becomes second nature, but for a doctor bringing them out of hospital, that takes time to build. So we should be proud of that kind of side of, of things as well. Um, so yeah, be proud to be a paramedic. Yeah, I, I agree. Paramedics are highly trusted by the public um, for, for good reason. Um, okay, so we're just about rolling towards the, go on. I, I was just gonna see if we get one more question. Yeah. Go ahead. pressure on ambulance paramedics on the road and that kind of thing at the moment and but I think one thing that you can do as a paramedic every single day no matter whether you're going to high acuity low acuity work is you can make a difference in people's lives by relieving that suffering and taking a horrible situation for them and just making it that tiny inch better um, and whether that's through you know good analgesia to relieve the suffering of a, of, a, of a broken limb or whether that's putting a hand on someone's shoulder and reassuring them in a, in a horrible time um, so I think that's one of the most important things we can do as pre-hospital clinicians and as paramedics is to um, overcome that kind of uh, awkwardness of being seen in that light, but um, take the chance to um, make that small difference in, in someone's life and relieve suffering for a, a small amount of time. Uh, I'm going to do the last word on this to Vicky, actually, because I think, I think it's a really important question. I mean, it's about, it's about resilience, isn't it, as well as about, I mean, the, the job is a privilege, but you see uh, some great things, but you also see some really terrible things. Um, and the challenge is to maintain that resilience, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's quite tricky. Um, we all have our own ways of dealing with things and um, moving on to the next. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I do get asked, how, how can you keep doing it when you see the things you see? Um, and I think that's, it's a personal thing as well, but you have your own strategies in place. 
Uh, but also, your organisation um, should have something in place to help you if you need it. Uh, it's not necessarily the big jobs that will get you. Um, it's often something fairly minor that will just trigger something uh, and it will relate to something probably completely different uh, and that's the, that's the one that just might tip you over the edge. Uh, we're very lucky where, where we work at GWAC in that we have a complete welfare strategy in place. Uh, we all know each other really well, we work with each other a lot, so actually you can often tell if someone's just not quite right uh, and we can pick that up. We have welfare leads, they will pick it up. Um, and then we can go through a whole um, staying well service within the ambulance service. Uh, I think most ambulance services are starting to come on board with that and they'll have them, you know, different things in place, but I think SWAST is actually is very good at that. Uh, and I think, I think some people say, oh, you just, you know, you, you, you have no emotion, uh, but actually you do have emotion. You're with those families, you know, day in, day out. They're having the worst days of their life often. Uh, and you're just there just to try and, as Callum was saying, just to try and relieve a bit of that. But you take a bit of that home as well. Um, so yes, I think by having things in place from your units or your ambulance services or actually in your hospitals where you work, uh, it's really important. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to uh, wrap up this kind of formal session. There is a, a, a drinks reception and further opportunity to talk, talk, talk uh, next door. But I just wanted to do a couple of things. A, say that we've recorded today's session to make it more widely available. If, and if the technology allows, it will be available uh, to view subsequently and for others to see. Uh, the second is that we'll be sending out a feedback survey and we'd really like to receive your feedback. Um, I'd like to thank the University of the West of England for hosting uh, the event, but most importantly of all, uh, I'd like to uh, acknowledge the hard work of the uh, GWAC charity staff and our volunteers. Um, as you heard on the video, uh, GWAC is, uh, is not funded by government, it's not funded by the NHS, it's funded by you, um, and we can't do anything without our volunteers. Last and uh, not least, I'd like to acknowledge um, Dr. Jevons, uh, who's, who's our Deputy Medical Director, Calum Sutton, and of course, uh, most importantly of all, uh, Vicky Brown. Thank you very much.